the swamp winds in Louisiana. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Tournament's Movement for the week of June 1st, 2020. In the waning hours of the regular legislative session, the Louisiana Senate rejected the Tournament's Convention Bill after it passed the full House and all the relevant Senate committees. It was a gift from the swamp in Louisiana to the swamp in Washington, D.C. For more details, we turn to Nick Tombalides, Executive Director of U.S. Turn Limits. Hey, Nick. Hey, Phil. So, what the hell happened in Louisiana, Nick? Well, that is the burning question on everyone's minds right uh. now. Um, as we discussed previously, the Louisiana legislature, state legislature, had gotten extremely close to passing the term limits convention. So close, in fact, that on this past Sunday evening, around 7 o'clock, the Louisiana Senate took a vote on final passage, and it did not pass. It got a roll call vote. We needed 20 votes, but it failed. We had 16 yes votes, 18 no votes, and five senators who were absent. We would have needed 20 votes for passage. All right. And just to remind our listeners, this this is the Tournaments Convention Bill, and it passed the Louisiana House. It passed the Senate committees. This was the full Senate vote. If it passed on Sunday night, then we'd have our fourth state that officially called for a amendment writing convention limited to the subject of congressional term limits. Yeah. And we thought we had the votes, and we lost. What happened to those votes? In my opinion, the vote was based entirely on a false premise. Um, And I'll tell you why. There was one senator, a guy named Barrow Peacock, who got up, he was so angry about this, he probably really opposes term limits, but didn't want to espouse that publicly because he knew he'd be tarred and feathered back home in his (laughs) district. So what he decided was he wanted to attack the convention. He declared a jihad against it. He got up and he gave this speech that was just loaded with false and phony information. He said, Congress controls the convention. False. The convention was designed to go around Congress. He said, Congress ratifies the amendment. False. The states ratify (laughs) the amendment. Read the Constitution, bro. And then finally, he said Antonin Scalia was against it. And that scared a lot of conservatives. But that, like the first two points, is completely false. Okay, so this guy was completely uninformed. And we've seen this before in other states where people bring up these sort of scare stories about the Article 5 of the Constitution instead of admitting that they're actually opposed to tournaments. So it's like a – it's cover for them to say, oh, I'm just looking out for the Constitution. Um, The idea that Congress is in charge of this process is, is of course, would defeat the whole purpose of the convention process, which the founders – created for the sole purpose of going around Congress when Congress was itself the problem. Our founders were explicit about this. The mechanics that are laid out in Article 5 are very clear about this. The whole point is that states will propose and that the states will ratify and Congress has nothing to do with it. And so he's saying that somehow Congress is in charge of it. Well, Congress is in charge of the other method of amending the Constitution, where two-thirds of Congress propose, and then they send it down to the states for ratification. Just to clarify for our listeners, too, that what Phil is saying right now is not coming from, like, a screaming lunatic who stands in the middle of an intersection. That's directly from James Madison's notes in 1787. You look at when the Constitution was debated and written. Madison wrote... 
that if Congress had all the power over the amendment process, no amendments of the proper kind would ever be obtained. Ergo, the Article 5 convention was born, and that is why this process exists. So everything, I mean, this guy was lying like a dog right. to his colleagues about how this works. And uh, unfortunately, the way legislative debates work is the senators are locked in that chamber. They can only talk to each other. There's no opportunity for an expert, say from U.S. term limits or like a constitutional law professor, to raise his hand and say, excuse me, sir, everything you just said is bullshit. They're just (laughs) allowed to go on and on with it, and everyone has to believe it, you know, because they trust him. But it was totally false. And here's the kicker, too. Two of the senators who voted against the bill had signed our pledge last year during the campaign promising they would vote for it. That's outrageous. That's Senator Heather Cloud and Senator Beth Mizell. Both those legislators signed a pledge which said, I pledge to co-sponsor, vote for, and defend the resolution for an Article 5 convention for the sole purpose of enacting term limits on Congress. We have a picture of one of the senators, Beth Mizell, holding up her signed pledge and smiling. This isn't any kind of Photoshop. They made a commitment to the people of Louisiana. They promised specifically they would support this bill. And then in the moment of truth, when it came up for a vote, they broke their promise. It's as simple as that. Their broken promise, it's right there in the record of the state of Louisiana. Hi, this is Stacey Selleck, Digital Director for U.S. Term Limits. Extortion and mob boss mentality of career politicians in two major U.S. cities unfolds this week. Two local career politicians have been under federal investigation for racketeering charges. This week, Los Angeles Councilman Jose Cuizar was called to resign by Mayor Eric Garcetti and City Council President Nuri Martinez after new disclosures in the City Hall corruption investigation centered on bribes and real estate development corruption. According to federal documents, prosecutors claim the councilman received more than $1 million worth of bribes from just one of the real estate developers doing business in his district. Several others have already pled guilty to the case. The indictment directly implicates Councilmember Huizar and his illegal offensive and absolute abuse of power. Huizar has been in office since 2005. The second news story this week on local corruption stems from Detroit, Michigan. Feds charge former Maycomb Public Works Commissioner Anthony Morocco in yet another extortion indictment. According to the Detroit Press, among his egregious practices during his decades-long reign, Morocco threatened to yank municipal contracts, withhold permits, and, in May 2016, removed an unidentified excavation firm from a multi-million dollar sinkhole repair project because the company held a fundraiser for Morocco's political opponent. The charges document Morocco's lavish lifestyle was funded by development contractors seeking to earn favor on business dealings. These purchases by Morocco included dinners at expensive Florida restaurants, condominium association fees, spa visits, wedding and holiday gifts, and yacht club expenses, prosecutors said. The alleged scheme spanned more than two decades, ending in 2016. 22 people have been convicted in public corruption charges in Maycomb over the past six years of the FBI investigation. Far too long due to Commissioner Morocco's unchecked power over builders and contractors in Maycomb County, 
business owners were forced to pay homage to the commissioner by purchasing expensive fundraising tickets for the sole benefit of the commissioner, U.S. Attorney Matthew Schneider said in a statement. The two decades of alleged extortion by Mr. Morocco show an obscene abuse of power and a grave betrayal of the trust of the citizens of Maycomb County. Morocco, who held office since 1993, was charged with four counts, including conspiracy to commit extortion, extortion, and attempted extortion. He could be sentenced to up to 20 years in federal prison. Elected officials have a special responsibility to the people who entrust them with power. Term limits would go a long way in forcing transparency in government dealings and to limit the hubris and abuse of power all too often associated with career politicians. Now, in the last episode of this podcast, you and I talked about the fact that most of the time, nearly all of the time, politicians who sign our pledges, either in the Congress or in the state legislatures, actually live up to them. It's actually unusual this would happen. So what was special about this case in Louisiana where these legislators at the key moment ditched their constituents and went their own way? I think they were misled by Senator Peacock. I think they genuinely believed some of his spin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he spooked him into voting against it with his scaremongering about the Article 5 convention. (laughs) Um, And I think in that moment, you know, they showed some weakness and they didn't keep their word. Let me make clear, the last thing in the world that we ever want to do is get crosswise with any of these politicians. You know, we Mm -hmm. would prefer people kept their word, but that's unfortunately not what we're dealing with here. You know, 83% of Louisiana voters wanted this to happen, and those people are now going to be very disappointed by this outcome. Right. What's really ironic is the senators who broke their word, from what I've heard, they're blaming us. (laughs) They're they're angry with U.S. term limits. I'm going to just present that without comment. I'm going to let the listeners decide whether senators should keep their word or not. It's like when you take out a mortgage, is it okay to just stop making the payments? You know, if I promise to deliver you a product or a service, is it okay to not deliver you what I promised? You know, it's all stuff we basically learned in Sunday school or by watching Mr. Rogers. But apparently for legislators, it's it's a bit hard to understand. And I just I haven't the slightest clue why. Okay, now this peacock, he came up with these outrageous claims, including, did you say that he said that Congress ratifies a constitutional amendment? Well, just pull out and read the uh, Article 5 of the Constitution. It clearly says that regardless of which method you use to amend the Constitution, it must be ratified by three-quarters of the states. That's beyond question. There's no one in the country that questions that fact. Why don't we just read it right now? We'll do you have it in front it right of you? Here and Let's let me, do it. Yeah, let me bring it up. Okay, I'm going to read the entire section, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. What that means is that Congress gets to select whether state legislatures or state conventions 
ratify the amendment, but they have to pick one of the two. Right. And the bottom line is it is always the states that get to ratify the amendments. What Peacock attacked in his little soliloquy there was this idea of the conventions of the states ratifying the amendment. He says, well, we don't know what that is. You know, that could be Congress. That could be, he sort of hinted at like a shadowy tinfoily conspiracy. But the beautiful thing is we already know what that is because there's already an amendment in the constitution that's been ratified that way. The Mm -hmm. 21st amendment, the repeal of prohibition, it's the only amendment in our constitution that was ratified by state conventions. And we we observed it, we've Mm -hmm. documented it. Congress has nothing to do with it. It it is people in the states deciding whether the amendment gets approved or not, either the state legislature or people directly meeting to decide whether the amendment is a good idea or not. But nobody in Washington has anything to do with it. And that guy should be ashamed of himself for spreading that disinformation. Hi, this is Ken Quinn, Regional Director with U.S. Term Limits. During the ratification period between 1787 and 1790, seven states submitted amendments to Congress when they ratified the Constitution. Among the 126 amendments submitted, two were for term limits. In keeping his campaign promise to appease the opposition to the Constitution by the Anti-Federalists, James Madison introduced a series of amendments to the U.S. Constitution. His amendments were revised down to 12 and were approved by a joint resolution of Congress on September 25, 1789 and forwarded to the states for ratification. Ten of the amendments were ratified by three-fourths of the states on December 15, 1791 and are known as the Bill of Rights. One of the remaining amendments was finally ratified 202 years later in 1992 and became the 27th Amendment which addresses congressional salary from taking effect until after the next election. Now, James Madison was not the only member to introduce amendments in that first session of Congress. Thomas Tudor Tucker of South Carolina introduced 21 amendments, and three of them were for term limits on members of the U.S. Senate, House of Representatives, and the President. Here is the wording to the three amendments. Quote, nor shall any person be capable of serving as a representative more than six years in any term of eight years, unquote. Quote, From and after the commencement of the year 1795, the election of senators for each state shall be annual, and no person shall be capable of serving as a senator more than five years in any term of six years, unquote. And finally, quote, nor shall any person be capable of holding the office of president of the United States more than eight years in any term of 12 years, unquote. Now, unfortunately, the interest in term limits subsided after this period of time, and we did not see an uptick again until the 1950s, in response to Franklin D. Roosevelt abandoning the tradition of serving as president for only two terms, which began with George Washington. President Roosevelt passed away while in his fourth term, and shortly after that, Congress proposed the 22nd Amendment to limit the office of president to two terms, which was ratified on February 27, 1951. Since the 1950s, there has been approximately 300 amendments introduced in Congress to impose term limits on members of the U.S. House and Senate. In the 1990s, four term limits amendments were voted on in the House, but all of them fell short of the necessary two-thirds for passage. Well, we at U.S. term limits are not depending on Congress to do the right thing. We are going to have the states propose the amendment without the approval or vote of Congress, and we need your help to do it. We need to pass our Article 5 application in your state legislature to finally get this done. 
Let's do this to honor those that have tried in the past, beginning with the first term limit supporter in Congress, Thomas Tudor Tucker from South Carolina. Please go to termlimits.com to sign our petition and join the revolution. Is there no way that we can have a second bite of this apple? I mean, we can easily show that he was wrong. And now they are having a special session in Louisiana starting today, I think. A lot of bills that have been assigned to the special session by the leadership, they've said these are the bills that we're going to be tackling. The term limits convention one is not on the list, but that's actually okay in this instance because we're, in a technical sense, we are not a bill. We are a resolution, Right. which means that if, if they want to bring it up, it is considered germane to what's going on in the special session. So that's the silver lining that – here in Louisiana, we're going to get one more bite at the beignet, and we have a whole month to reconstruct this strategy. We're going to have to pass the House again, and then we're going to have to pass the Senate. We know the House, unlike the Senate, uh, is very strong. This passed in the House 73-14, huge bipartisan vote, so that shouldn't be too tough. But the Senate is the challenge. You know, the swamp there, it's adamant about corrupting members. You've got Peacock filling people's heads with false info. We got to counter that. You know, we got, we need to craft a winning message and we need to make them feel the heat. Um, I would say it's all about the power of the grassroots in Louisiana. Okay. Well, keep up the good work in Louisiana. I know we came very close and apparently we have another shot over the next 30 days and we'll keep reporting on its progress in this podcast. So stay tuned, everyone. In the meantime, make sure if you live in Louisiana to let legislators know that you're watching and you want them to vote yes um, on the term limits convention bill. If you've already done so, do it again. There's going to be a new vote. So go to termlimits.com slash LA final passage. It'll take you two, three minutes. You can put in your address. It'll look up your legislators. You can send them an email right there. There's all the information right in front of you to do it. Please do it right now. Please pass that link on to your friends and neighbors in Louisiana. They need to hear from us right now, and we need to keep their phones ringing and their email boxes full with citizens calling for a tournament's convention. You know, I may travel out to Louisiana myself to rattle some cages in Baton Rouge at the state legislature. You know, I'm tired of this nonsense. We need to get this done. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. We've been reporting on how U.S. tournaments has redirected its efforts during this period of shutdown to collecting pledges from legislators in preparation for next year's legislative sessions, in which we'll once again be in the nation's capitals pushing tournaments convention bills. So are you on Facebook? Because if so, you can help. Every candidate for the state legislature in the USA has received a copy of the U.S. tournaments pledge and is being called and emailed by U.S. tournaments staffers and volunteers to sign and return that pledge. That pledge says that, yes, I'll support the Tournaments Convention Bill. Please help us apply public pressure to get them to sign. Go to turnlimits.com slash getpledgesonfb. There, you will find instructions on how to determine who your state legislators are, who is opposing them in the primaries, and then later the general elections. And then for each candidate, you'll see a link for their Facebook campaign page. They all have one. Go to their Facebook page and post a short comment and question. Something like, we need competitive elections and better representation. Do you support term limits for the U.S. Congress? And if they answer back yes, 
send them the link to pledge and ask them to sign. The pledge, the links, the instructions, everything can be found at turnlimits.com slash getpledgesonfb. Thanks. We'll be back next week. The revolution isn't being televised. Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast. U-S-T-L. Yeah.